You're listening to The Catalyst with Samantha Chris, where we explore the inner workings of embracing the unknown, from ordinary daily habits to extraordinary measures. Get ready, we're about to ignite change and inspire action. Welcome back, everyone. I am your host, Samantha Chris, and today I am joined by Kern Carter. Kern is a writer and author who has written and published two novels, Thoughts of a Fractured Soul and Beauty Scars. Kern is also a ghostwriter with credits in Forbes, The New York Times, Global Citizen, and Fatherly.com, along with having ghostwritten several books. When he's not penning novels or ghostwriting, Kern creates and curates stories through Cry Magazine, his online magazine that aims to help writers and artists navigate the emotions of their creative journey. Kern, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. You have quite the story of change, which is what this show is all about. So if it's all right with you, we're just going to dive right into the good stuff. Let's go. All right. So one of the first biggest and most sudden changes in your life was finding out that you would be a father at just 18 years old. What were some of the thoughts running through your mind at the time? A lot. Um, first, I was still in high school. So um, just just thinking about about what, what my life would be like now that I have a child still in school. Um, I was also like a really good basketball player. So I was getting scholarship offers to, to go to division one basketball uh, schools in in the state so i was like what's going to happen to my future um but then to be completely honest there was a huge part of me that was really excited you know like even though i was young um and probably really naive about what like what it would take to be a father um i was really excited i was having a child and i and i for me that was still the most important thing i love that and did at any point did your excitement outweigh your fear, vice versa, or was it kind of equal <laughs> emotional roller coaster at all times? Good question. It, it was it was definitely equal. It was half year, like I was just like, oh my gosh, like you know, like what am I gonna do? I'm 18. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but then there was there are just moments of it that were that were always also just beautiful. Just going through the entire process of of my my girlfriend girlfriend at the time being pregnant. There are moments where it was just like it felt magical, you know, so on, to- on top of, or apart from, you know, like a lot of the stress that we went through a lot of the, the like, um, you know, like the, the criticism from family and stuff like that. Uh, there were parts that us two together just like made sure we kept really kind of, kind of beautiful. What was dealing with that criticism? Like, I mean, I, I can't be easy at any age, but much less at 18 when you're still trying to figure out who you are. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. It's just like, I was still growing up, you know, and even though like at 18, you feel like you're, you're grown. Um, I still was very aware that I, I was growing up. So the criticism was hard, especially um, I, I, I was from a single, mo- single family. I was living with my mother. Um, so it was just her as far as like uh, adults and parenting in my home. So when she was really upset and when she um, like, she didn't abandon me, that's, that's totally the wrong word, not abandoned at all. My, my mother is, is very supportive. Um, and eventually became very supportive of of me having a, a child. But at first it was just, she was just very disappointed. So to have that um, kind of weigh on me, um, to have like my, my, my brothers and my friends and you know, like everyone was just kind of questioning what I'm doing because of the basketball situation. They're like, oh, you're gonna ruin your future. Um, you really think about it. Like you don't have to do this. 
So just trying to deflect all that and keep the what I thought was just negative energy away from uh, my girlfriend at the time and and like when my daughter did eventually was born, just trying to keep away all that negativity was this was it was hard. And then I remember there's actually one time when I remember um, very early on in, in my girlfriend's pregnancy, thinking that I'm going to have to not be sensitive. I'm going to have to learn how to not be sensitive. You know, like I have to learn to build this shell around me to where nothing that anyone says really bothers me. Like I like intentionally did that and it, it kind of helped. It, it made me like disconnected in a way. Um, but it, it kind of helped uh, prevent me from from uh, kind of uh, succumbing to any, all of that criticism. Interesting. Did you feel that by putting those walls up, you know, years later, I mean, is there any work that you're doing to now dismantle them? Wow. How did you guess that? That was, <laughs> that was so good. Yeah, that, that was literally the problem because then I, you know, when you pretend something for so long, it actually becomes real, you know? So mm-hmm. even though at first it was, like a, a, I don't know, like a defense mechanism almost. It became part of my personality where I was really just like emotionally disconnected. And then I realized that's how I was kind of behaving in my real life and behaving in my relationships. And, you know, like even sometimes like as an adult now with my daughter being grown up, I have to catch myself that I'm not being a little too um, like unemotional, you mm-hmm. know? So it, 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 was, it definitely was worth to kind of reverse that reverse that that wall building so let's rewind the clock a bit back to when those walls are first going up and and life is changing and you're trying to figure it out not long after you became a new father another big decision came your way in the form of an athletic scholarship so you talked about being into basketball and accepting it would mean that you would need to leave your daughter for four years so how did you go about making the choice to take it man um you know i was when when my when i when i found out my when my girlfriend and i found out that we were having a child i actually dropped out of high school and we moved into a basement apartment together and we were living in this like it's probably like 300 feet square feet like it was small it was one room um it was really small um and i was working as um uh, like uh, they call it a loss prevention agent really it was like the person who checks your bags when you're leaving the store um, I was working as one of those type of people and I was working overnight in a grocery store. And I remember thinking on one of my shifts, just like, this is not the life I want to live for me or my daughter. Like, I, I feel like I just felt like I had so much potential and I could do so much better that I don't want, I don't want this to be the life that I live. I don't want to feel this kind of struggle. I don't want to feel this kind of emptiness. So, mm-hmm. um, I was fortunate that, um, two schools had kept their scholarship offers out of the, I had like close to a hundred offers, but two what? schools. Kept, yeah, I know it's ridiculous. I, I two schools kept their offers. One of them flew down or drove down to see me play, like practice. It was just like they just came literally, literally just to see me practice, um, and do drills. So they came down and, um, I was sick that day, like flu sick. Um, so during like, I would like throw up during the drills. I could like open the door. I'd do a drill, then open the gym door and throw up outside and come back inside and finish the drill. So I thought I kind of messed it up, but they, they didn't see it that way. And they offered me a scholarship and I accepted it. And I, I just, it, it was, to me, it was the best decision of my life, even though, even though it took me away from my daughter for four years, it made me a better person, like independently. It made me realize, understand what sacrifice was. Um, it made me more mature. Um, and then it's from a very 
kind of practical perspective, it, it led to my career. Like I went to school for English writing and journalism. Um, I'm a writer right now, you know? So, and, and that, that, I mean, more than anything, it helped me kind of build a lifestyle that I have right now for my daughter where we can do whatever we want and anything she wants, she can get. And I, and I love that. Around this time last year, you wrote about the feelings of guilt and shame still kind of follow you. And you just talk about how this was one of the best decisions of your life and how it kind of paved the path for your future, but that there's almost as much guilt and shame now as there was back then. So it's not all kind of rainbows and butterflies, it seems. Not at all. No, because I mean, she had to, like the guilt is just like how my daughter feels, how I imagine my daughter feels, you know? And, um, like me not being there for four years, even though I stayed for the first year of her life, just me not being there for the next four years. Um, the struggle she went through for like years and years after that because of, you know, the problems that um, her and, 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 well, her mother and I had, um, those, were, those were like really, really hectic problems. Um, money problems, me being just like broke to be pretty frank. Um, when I first came back from university, just like not really earning the enough money as the, the amount of money that I want to earn right away, even though like in my mind, I knew what I was building. I knew I was building towards being a writer. Um, I knew all that would happen. Like where I am right now, I knew this day would be here. But getting here was just like it was a struggle and she had to endure that. So for me, I felt really guilty that, you know, like I couldn't send her to private school or I, you know, like had the option to send her to private school or I couldn't like take her on vacations when she was growing up and I could like you know like little things like or like we didn't have like an amazing house or apartment or condo or townhome like we didn't have all those things right I lived in a one-bedroom apartment when I came back from university so like the guilt of just feeling like I wasn't enough and I wasn't I didn't get to where I wanted to be fast enough so that she could have like an incredible life like that I, I still get a little bit bothered by that um even today just thinking about it it feels really it feels really kind of it, it feels bad yeah. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I, I I have these conversations with my parents. I have friends who are parents and that parent guilt is real and it's no joke. And I don't think it's reserved for people who've just had it a bit tough. I think no matter what the scenario is, you always hope you can do better and provide more for your kids than either what you had or, you know, a vision of what you think that they deserve and that you want to give for them. And so how is it something that you I don't want to say move past because I'm, I'm not suggesting that you need to move past the guilt, but how is it something that you work through so that you can still feel, you know, like a good dad at the end of the day, which I'm sure you're an incredible <laughs> one. Yeah. Um, my daughter, like just looking at how happy she is right now, how happy she's been the last, like, I mean, I've, I've had full custody for five years. So like just how happy she's been over the last five years, um, that, that relieves a lot of the guilt to be honest like she she's a happy child she never she actually never ever wanted a lot of things she was she was odd that way where she never asked me for a lot I almost feel like she would she knew not to ask for a lot like she just had this sense in her um I'm actually pretty sure she had that kind of that kind of awareness but um seeing just how happy she is right now really just makes me feel it makes me feel glad and, and it makes me feel like the guilt it really is just coming from me like she she's fine she's she's over it. Like, you know, she's not, she's not thinking about it. She, she did have a, a very fulsome um, upbringing as far as like having people involved in her life. Like my mom was super involved in life. My younger brother um, was, was like an amazing uncle. Like they're so close even today. 
um, my aunt, my uncles, my grandmother, even like she, my daughter had love. She felt love. So she wasn't absent of, of that. It was just like my own personal um, guilt for me not being the sole uh, provider for her was, is re was really what was, what was kind of debilitating for me. But again, like seeing her, how happy she is now, it, it makes most of it better. <laughs> most of it. I love that. It's, it's almost there. <laughs> almost, almost. <laughs> One of the things that you also mentioned in that article is that, you know, the article in which you're referring to initially feeling that guilt and shame is that um, you're almost, and these are my words, but that you're kind of um, anticipating that this is how she felt and that you hadn't actually asked her at the time what her thoughts were about her upbringing. And so she's, I think, uh, almost 17 or around 17 now. I mean, have you had that conversation with her since writing the article? Yeah, it's, that's, that's an interesting question. I actually have. She's 18, 18 now. There we go. I was close. Yeah, you were close. You were close. Yeah, she's 18 now. But um, we had a conversation because like see, we did an interview with CBC and we did it together. It was on the radio. And then um, they were kind of asking us like semi-personal questions, but we were prepared for it. But then after that interview, that I, I think that kind of like opened her up a little bit. And when I I had a conversation, like I, as a parent, sometimes you're like, oh, she's at a time right now where she's speaking. So you kind of jump in and you're like, let me ask her like 10,000 questions. So she was having one of those moments. So I was like, you know, I asked her about that, like how she felt growing up and she, for her, what, what was really great for me is that she always wanted for us to just be together. You know, like that was what she wanted. She just wanted to be around me all the time. So when, when I was stressing about not having money and stressing about, you know, not giving her the things that I wanted, she didn't care at all. She just, she was just happy every single time that she was able to see me. And that's all she cared about. She never thought about anything else. So that, yes, I did have that conversation. And you know, when she told me, when she told me what she told me, it did, again, it, it went towards kind of alleviating or at least like reducing a little bit of the guilt. And I'm sure it helps, you know, in furthering lower those walls, I, not that they were put up to keep her out, but I mean, this emotional barrier that you had to carry for, you know, long, a long part of your life. I think it, it probably must've been really nice to hear that so much of what you had been worrying about was not necessarily what she was feeling on her side. Yeah, totally, totally. It, it did. It, it, these last couple of years, last few years have been like really, really special for me, like in my own personal growth, um, in my own understanding of really like what life is about. Everyone's situation is different. Everyone goes through circumstances that are, you know, like complicated at some point in your life. Um, but just being able to just kind of deal with that, being able to get through it, being able to like keep my integrity as I as I got through it, um, and still you know like have this amazing child that that's that's doing that's becoming herself and growing up her own. Um, it's it's yeah, it's an incredible feeling. What would you say is the biggest lesson that she's taught you? Ooh, good question. I would say the biggest lesson is patience. She really taught me how to be patient with myself first. Um, and, and, and giving myself the space to like live my dreams. The other thing I, I think she taught me was, um, uh, like for forgiveness and like how to forgive myself and, um, and how to just not get stuck in those, in that guilt. Um, because that was a huge, that was like a really huge thing for me. Like I really, really felt guilty about those things. So like she just, again, just seeing how she like talking to her and seeing how she grew up and how she was able to adapt 
and and what she was thinking about knowing what she was thinking about as a child like just she just didn't care about those things that that really helped me to forgive myself and then i'd say the last thing is just like just like love she you, like i didn't even understand what love was so i so i had my daughter like she is like the it's, it's even hard to describe how how you could love someone like that like she yeah, I don't even know how to put it into words, but she just really taught me what love is and and how to love and, you know, like just having a feeling where, you know, like if it was just me and her and, and no one else in the world, I would be so happy. You know, I'd still be incredibly happy. So just like how to love and how to accept love and how to give love is, is definitely something she taught me. Way to pull on the old heartstrings, Kern. <laughs> For a man who put up this emotional barrier talking about patience and forgiveness and love, and I'm sitting over here on the other end being like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. <laughs> oh, but I mean, in a major way, right? Like you're not just learning. I mean, part of what is your driving force right now is helping artists navigate the emotions of their creative journey. And so can you explain what you're doing with Cry Magazine? Because I mean, I've scratched the surface with you offline, kind of outside this call, this episode. And I think it's so cool. Yeah, no, that and it's, it, you're right. But the funny thing is Cry started out, the reason I called it Cry, because at first it was just my blog. It was just like my way to vent. Like it was my, it was, I was still on the other side of kind of feeling uh, those negative emotions. So for me, it, cry started off as a way for me to vent um, publicly about some of the struggles I was going through, both in my career and as a parent. Um, so that that's really why I called it cry. But then uh, last year, or like more than last year now, so 2019 or so, um, I opened it up and I'm like, you know what? Like, let me hear other people's stories. Let me see if they're if they're going through the same things I'm going through. And when I opened it up to let others contribute, um, it just like it just blew the doors down and it was just so it was so incredible to to listen to other people's stories and then when i what i realized is that like okay this is this is something now like i'm getting like thousands of views and we have like dozens of writers and like i was like okay i need to actually manage this so i actually got a team together so i have a creative partner and i have one other person on my team and then we started really focusing on what are we trying to do um and what are and how are we how are we doing that what space are we trying to fill and that, that space of, of being creative, being a writer, being an artist, whatever. Um, and and the, 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 the emotional aspects that come with that, dealing with rejection, feeling like you're not heard, uh, being jealous, um, comparing yourself, like all those emotions that you go through are art of, as an artist are part of what make you an artist and are real struggles that you have to deal with on top of the technical aspects, on top of learning how to write, learning sets and structure, learning how to paint, learning how to take photographs like on top of the technical stuff the emotional stuff is just as important and impacts how you're able to perform at your work so we really kind of build cry around um the the, the emotional stuff like the emotional aspects um of creativity and, and through the stories that we share um through the stories that our, our community really contributes to be honest like they tell most of the stories but through those stories i think we're just creating a space for for artists to share um, what those emotions mean to them in their lives and how the how they deal with those emotions um, and how they like either use those emotions to, to create great art or how those emotions actually like negatively impact them and, and have has prevented them in some way from from existing. So we 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 really we feel like we have something a little bit unique with cry. 
I think so too. I mean, I've taken a look. It is an exceptional platform. What you're doing with it, I find is, um, is really revolutionary because I think as an artist, there's, and it's a, a little bit of an overgeneralization here, but there's this almost uh, kind of stigma or expectation that you need to struggle, that you mm-hmm. need to struggle in your creativity and that it can be lonely. And while that is certainly the truth in, in some cases, there's also a huge community of people who in the creative field are going through a lot of the same things who could benefit from sharing their stories and you know who have to work through it um, almost solo because a lot of these people are, are either solo entrepreneurs or are not even thinking of themselves necessarily as business people, but who really just want to create and deliver value to the world. And that comes with a little bit of a burden sometimes. Yeah, totally, totally. And some of the stories are that we hear from our contributors are incredible. Like um, some of them were homeless for over a year and they talk about what that meant and how they got out of that. Um, some of them talk about the, the, the kind of like mental health struggle that they have to deal with while being still being either a mother or a sister or whatever the case is, while still trying to build this writing career on the side, you know, while going to work nine to five as a job. Like, so like they, the, the scope and the depth of stories that we get, um, it's, it's true. And it, and it helps really kind of, um, or what we're hoping it does anyways, that, um, it, it really just kind of shows that like you said we're not we're not in this alone like we're all going through this together you know and and we hope cry could be that one kind of space that that elevates artists for sure gives them a space for sure but then also our major goal honestly is really community building we want to make sure that we have a a community that's engaged in a way that communities are not engaged so like when i say engaged i mean like we we have like some people some of our contributors that we speak to on whatsapp or we direct message and we know their birthdays we know that they're still in school and they just finished their class um like we're really really engaged with with who we're with the people that are on our platform like we don't want it to just be you come here you read a story you like it and you leave like talk to us like send us a message if you want to if you want to be part of of whatever we're doing outside of pride like let us know we'll we'll try to make that work so it, it really for us is like building a community in the way that like a university will build um, alumni to where they feel so connected, no matter where they are in the world, they feel really connected to that university. That's kind of the, the structure that we're using, the blueprint that we're using. I love that. I love it so much. And there's such a need for it. And I'm so happy that you've taken the leap that you've decided to create it and that you've given people the platform and the space to connect on things that really matter. I mean, I think this is something that when we hear it's common sense, but in the moment it's, it's easy to forget that emotions are the common denominator are the undercurrent of every decision, every action, every choice of how we spend our time and our energy and without an understanding of what those emotions are and how they're impacting us creatively or otherwise, we can stay stuck for a really long time. Oh my gosh. Yes. I don't even have to say that was really good. Yes. <laughs> Sponsored by Cry Magazine. <laughs> that was hilarious. Oh, so what's next for you? I mean, you're on to some really cool projects right now. You've got some exciting things lined up. I want to hear, you know, what don't I know? Uh, well, I just signed my first publishing deal. So that is like super, super exciting. I've been waiting for this moment for like years, like legit years, like three years ago, I was like, you know what? I already had already published, uh, self-published two books. So I was like, you know what? No more self-publishing. I'm going to 
my goal now is to get an agent and get published. Like that was my only goal. I, I was like, I'm not writing another book or I'm not putting on another book until I'm published. And after the first year I got an agent and then after two years, which is now, this is like the second year I was able to, to finally get the publishing deal. So to me, that's the most, the most exciting, um, that, that's, that's, that's the most exciting, definitely the most exciting thing in my life. That's uh, huge. Right now in my career anyway. Um, yeah, that, that, that's definitely it. And then also just like expanding cry, just like I'm, I'm loving the partnerships that we have with, that we're having with cry. We, we're partnering with uh, Nia Center for the Arts, which is like the first black uh, arts hub in all of Canada. Uh, we have another partnership that, that I'm kind of fingers crossed that Turk that, that works out, but, um, yeah, we're just we're just expanding and trying to help trying to offer up more opportunities for creatives. I love it. What's the best way for people to connect with you and to get involved and support what it is that you're building? Um, go to Cry Magazine. It's it's a it's a media publication. So if you just type in Cry Magazine, I'm sure you'll find it. Um, but everything is on currentcarter.com. If you go to currentcarter.com, you will see uh, my books. You'll see my my. You'll see Cry Magazine. Um, you'll see everything. You'll see some of my interviews. Um, we're going to post this one on there for sure too. Um, so yeah, go to currentcarter.com and you'll see everything. And then current Carter is also all of my handles, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is, is all current Carter. Man, you're so lucky. I had to get Samantha Chris three. <laughs> all good. I'm sure it works out. I'm pretty sure you, you, you've made it work for yourself. You've done pretty well. <laughs> uh, Kern, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the show today. It's been great chatting with you. No problem. Thank you. Friends, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Catalyst with Samantha Chris. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, I hope you're feeling a little more equipped to lean into the unknown and take inspired action.